The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Amen. Thank you guys for that. A number of people trying to dodge the flu this week, so I hope that you're healthy. If you're with us this morning, we're back in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to make an important turn this morning to some application for what Paul has been arguing about, arguing for. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 uh, through 4. This chapter here, the first, really the first 11 verses of this, we're going to deal with 1 through 4 this morning of chapter 2. And then we're going to deal with the infamous uh, Christ hymn, verses 5 through 11 in the next two weeks. I'm going to split that up into two sermons. That's a rich, rich, rich piece of scripture there. There's a lot that I want us to see in that. So we're going to deal with that in two parts. So this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 4. There's some good stuff in this. So buckle your seatbelt. Some good stuff in this for us. Let's pray really quick and then we'll jump off into what the Lord has in store for us. Eternal Father, grant us uh, clarity on the truth and, and more importantly, Father, press it into our lives as we uh, attempt to be transformed by your truth. Uh, I want a life, Father, that's reformed as a result of your words and your truth, not just simply intellectual stimulation. So I pray, I pray for this. I plead for this. Um, we need this as a church, Father. I need this as a pastor. So I lift this up to you. I pray these same things for Greg, dear Lord, in his absence from his body this body of people that he shepherds, I pray that you place your hand upon him, Father, and that you press the truth of your word into his life, God, as he ministers and labors in another part of this world now. I pray that you transform him and that you walk closely with he and his family in this next stage. We do this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week I set up, uh, I set before you really the summation of a challenge that I think Paul has been giving us in this text here. I believe the overarching statement or theme that floats throughout this entire letter that I've been arguing for, I see it very clearly in there. Um, it's something that we've got to hang on to for the ride in Philippians. It's something, it's a drumbeat that I've been giving you over these, uh, over these first few sermons here. And so the, the, you have to be fully engaged in these truths, I think, to really understand what Paul is doing here. And so I've been circling over and over back to this, not to really browbeat you, but to so we can think carefully about what the Bible says to us. And so if, we, if you were to sit and write a letter to your friend, uh, the, this is a letter, so we have to think about what kind of, what are we dealing with in here? If you were to sit and write a letter to your friend or a particular church, there's a motive for it. There's a purpose in it. It's not just random musing. You're trying to communicate some intent with all of this. And so this is what Paul is doing here in a, most of the letters that he writes. And so the key statement that rides with us for the entirety of these sermons that I think I gave it to you in three different ways last week. And so we're going to circle back to this this morning. This is what I think it is. Based upon Paul's own circumstances as an example, Paul is our example here. And this church's immersion in individualism, I told you this church has been swimming in this world where it's about me, 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 the me, me, me culture. Paul is arguing that the content and the movement of the gospel, it gives you purpose in life. It gives you purpose individually and as a church. And last week I unfolded it in a different way. I told you that a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is in verse 27 of the first chapter, is a life devoted to the loyalty of the cause of the gospel. 
gospel, the loyalty to the cause of the gospel, the content and movement of the gospel. And so Paul is saying in very plain terms that if you want to be like me, you're supposed to be like me. You're supposed to live like me. You live as marked out people. You live as this alternative society. You live as this uh, citizens of another kingdom. You live as a unique people for unique purposes. And so he gives us all of that in this letter. That's the challenge. That's the challenge in this letter for us. It's a beautiful letter. And and the the harder you pursue these things, the harder you pursue a knowledge of the gospel, the harder you pursue the gospel, the harder you pursue the advancement of the gospel from those two things, there's these jewels that fall out of us for the Christian faith. I've been giving these to you over the week. Joy, godliness, holy courage, community, victory. This is a here we go. This is a, um, I'm going to talk about this at the end here. We're going to come back to this at the end, but this is a picture of what I've been arguing for. So I'll circle back to that. It, from the content and movement of the gospel, you have joy. You'll find happiness in life. I believe that. I believe as you pursue these things, the content and movement of the gospel, you'll find happiness. You'll find godliness in the middle of that. You'll become more like God. You'll grow, grow closer to God. As you pursue the content and the movement of the gospel, you'll live with holy courage. God will give you the strength to be obedient in your walk with him. He will give you courage to advance the gospel. As you pursue these things, another gem that falls is community. We talked about community last week. God will bring you into a group of people. The Christian faith is not lived in isolation. You're lived in community. It's a meaningful relationships. You'll be part of a group of people that are living beyond themselves. And then finally, we talked last week about the this jewel of victory from the content and the movement of the gospel, victory falls for you. Even in the midst of challenge, because of the work of Christ Jesus, we're guaranteed victory. The church will be victorious into perpetuity. It never fails. Victory is imminent. So a life worthy of the gospel, a life given to the content and movement of the gospel, it produces side effects of the faith. Joy, godliness, holy courage, community, and victory. And then now, in chapter 2, we turn to Paul pivots from theological. There's a lot of theological going on in this. He pivots from theological, maybe even some philosophy here. He pivots to application. He pivots, he pivots to application. I tell you this over and over. Everywhere you go with Paul, there's theology, application. Theology, application. He's telling you all of these truths. He's saying pursue the content and the movement of the gospel, and from that comes joy. From that comes godliness. From those things come these truths. But the question is always, what do we do with that? How do we actually get there? How do we actually become effective at this mission? How do we actually live a life worthy of the gospel? And so in chapter two here, the first word in front of you in the text is so. And that word there, it takes us right into, it's really a word that he utilizes to say, how? How do we live this out? How do we live a life worthy of the gospel? He links it back to verse 26 here. So Paul, he never, as a pastor, this is my aim as well, we never leave you in the abstract. We try to give you answers to these questions. So if you've been thinking carefully about this book with me through our journey here, you may have questions. You may say, Brit, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I want purpose in this life. I want a life that matters. The answer to that, as we've seen, is that you pursue the content and the movement of the gospel. And if you do that, not only will you find, not only will you find a life of purpose, God will redeem you. You find a life of purpose, but he'll give you happiness and godliness and holy courage. 
And so the second question from that is great. So I'm trying to teach you how to think through the text here. The second question that is great. So what do I do with that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that, Britt? Do I get in a city group? Do I go to Ethiopia? Do I get in one-on-one discipleship? How do I pursue the content and movement of the gospel? And yes, at a very fundamental level, those are the things that we implement as a church so you can pursue this purpose in your life. But there's something involved in that that creates an effectiveness to it. We don't want you just to be a part of a city group. We don't want you to live on mission in this community. We don't want you to be devoted to discipleship. We want you to be effective in those things. And so that's what Paul is telling, at, telling us this morning. He's going to tell us how to be effective in these things. You'll never, you'll never do this at the level of Paul without thinking about two key aspects that he gives us in this text this morning. Two very important keys to the mission, keys to, that unlocks what Paul has been talking about in this. And they're right there in the text in front of you. They're unity and humility. How do we effectively pursue the content and movement of the gospel as a local church? We do it through unity and humility. And so I would argue, based upon the scripture, I would argue this morning that to be effective at this challenge, the keys to the Paul's challenge, a life worthy of the gospel, loyalty to the content and the movement of the gospel, you need two things. You need unity and you need humility. Very clear for us in the text this morning. So hear the words of the Apostle Paul here in chapter two. Hear what makes you effective, effective at the the challenge presented by Paul in the first chapter of this letter. Hear what makes you effective in a life worthy of the gospel. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, There it is again, joy, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. And let each each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Humility and unity are central issues in this passage this morning. They are keys to being effective at the challenge that Paul has been giving us, this striving side by side for loyalty to the cause of the gospel, the movement of the gospel. What's so beautiful about this scripture this morning, this is so good to me. I I enjoyed this so much this week looking at it. That, that if you see here, there's a, there's a Trinitarian basis in the first part of this chapter here, first part of this, these verses here. The, he, Paul gives you the Trinity in all of this. There's a good bit going on in this verse, in verse one here. There's a good bit going on in this verse, but what I want you, I don't have time to parse it all out this morning, but I want you to see it's so theologically important that you see the Trinity in these verses. And I wanna highlight the Trinitarian nature, the Trinitarian nature of this verse, because I think the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity is the theological basis for unity and humility in your life. I'm going to show you something this morning. This is, this is so good. This is so good to me. He says, so if, you, if there's any encouragement in Christ, there's God the, God the Son. Any comfort from love, it's implied. The Father, love comes from the Father there. And any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. This is a Trinitarian statement here. Paul mentioned encouragement in Christ. He mentions uh, comfort from love. I just told you that's implied to the Father and participation of the Spirit. 
So let me take some time to walk through this because I think this is, this, the doctrine of the Trinity is something we do not talk about enough and I want you to think about this. It's so, it's, it's incredible. This might be the most foundational doctrine in the entire Bible. So as a church, we confess something called the Trinity. We confess that, that, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one in three. It's the bedrock of our faith. I think probably, in my opinion, it's the most important doctrine of our faith and it's the most misunderstood. There's some things in the Trinity that I don't understand. There's, there's just a lot going on in there. It's misunderstood and it's never really effectively dealt with from the pulpit, to be honest with you. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a sermon on the Trinity. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a sermon preached on the Trinity. It's the massive doctrine of our faith in here. So from eternity, from the from when there was nothing, from eternity past, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They existed together in eternity past. They're one, this is important language here. I don't wanna use big words, but we've been hammering this language out for 2,000 years, 1,500 years. The, the Trinity is one indivisible, indivisible being. It's not, he's not separate, it's one. One indivisible being in three irreducible persons so important. God is one in three. I don't think we can talk about unity. I don't think we can talk about unity in the church apart from the Trinity. The Trinity is the reason for unity. The Trinity, I think that's why Paul brings it up here. I feel like this is why he brings it up here. I think it's clearly on his mind when he wrote this. There are certain roles there are certain roles of the Father, Son, and Spirit and, and how they work in your life, how they work upon this earth. And each person of the Trinity has a, has a particular work in your life, but that work in your life, it flows directly from their communion together. Are you tracking with me here? It flows directly from their unity. Without the unity, there, there's, no, there's nothing for us this morning. So do you realize there is unity in the Trinity and from that unity flows the basis for our unity as a church? I'm convinced that's why Paul uses this language here. There's more going on in verse one, but I can't get all of this. Let me give you some examples. I'm gonna talk about this a little bit at Easter, but love, there's love within Trinitarian unity. There's love within the Trinity. There's love all over the Trinity all within the unity of the Trinity. Listen to this. Take, for example, the idea of love. This old dead guy, John Owen, I'm trying to give you some truths here this morning. I'm applying to this old dead guy, John Owen. He just, he was, he was good. He was really good at what he did. But he says this. He says, man, this is amazing to me. Go home and, go home and chew on this today. I've been thinking about this all week. Love, he says, the, he takes the example of idea of love. He says, love to us begins with the Father, Did you know love to you begins with the Father? It's carried on by the Son. It's carried on by the Son, and then it's communicated by the Spirit. Think about that. This great, he's telling you that the Father designs love, the Son purchases love, and the Spirit works that love out. You could sit on that all week. You could go home and meditate on that all week long. Love begins with the Father, is carried on, is carried on by the Son, and then it's communicated by the Spirit. Do you hear the unity from that? For love to arrive as you as a Christian, for love to arrive to you as a Christian, the Father had to design it, the Son has to purchase it, and the Spirit has to communicate it. Otherwise, you don't even know what love is. Do you realize the Trinity is the grounding of love in your life? This is your faith. 
If God has redeemed you, listen to this. This is your faith. This is remarkable to me. Otherwise, we don't even know what love is because the Father designed it, the Son purchased it, and the Spirit has communicated it through the inspired words of Scripture in Revelation by the person and work of Jesus Christ into your mind and heart the gospel goes. That's remarkable to me. That's unbelievable to me. This is the God we serve. Go home and think about how remarkable this is. Go home and think about the the harmony. Do you realize the harmony it takes to pull this off? Do you realize the unity it takes to pull this off? This this is why the gospel is, is, is unbelievable to me. The gospel is so marvelous. I long for Trinitarian unity in the church. I think that's what Paul is saying here. The Father designs love, the Son carries love out in this world, and the Spirit works love out in the lives of his people. But what I want you to see that's so empowering is the unity in the Trinity, how much love and harmony it takes for the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to work in perfection. They had to work so much into perfection. It should give you hope. It should empower you to strive for this. God's given you this. He's revealing it to you in the Trinity so that you can strive after it. It's the grounding of unity. The whole entire Orthodox Christian faith is built upon the tri-unity, the tri-unity of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. The God, Father, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Son is not, and the Spirit is not the Son nor the Father, but they're all truly God, and they're all truly the tri-unity of God. One God. You see the unity in that? It's so beautiful. How about this? Think about it. salvation. That's love. How about salvation in the Trinity? Go home and think about what has to occur in the Trinity for salvation to reach you. It's a, this is why it's a miracle. It, it, this is why it's a miracle. There's so much harmony in the Father, Son, and Spirit that has to occur. So much unity that has to occur for salvation to even reach you. The Father, the Father is the wisdom of salvation. He designed a plan of salvation. We know that Christ is the wisdom of God. The Bible tells us that, the wisdom of the Father. The Son, the Son had to unite with man. This is the Trinity. I know I'm moving fast here, but just think about this stuff. The Son had to unite with man. God, the Son united with man to become the God-man, the great prophet, priest, and king. He had to unite himself with a humanity in order to undertake the plan of salvation ordered by the Father in his wisdom. Good grief, this is the Christian faith. I mean, it makes me just want to say amen. In obedience, in obedience, as the priest, as the high priest, Hebrews gives us this, Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the law and he fulfilled the requirements of breaking the law. (laughs) Both and. He fulfills the law, he lived a perfect life, and he fulfilled the requirement of breaking the law. There had to be something done because the law's been broken by Adam in death. He fulfills that. The father's the grounding of wisdom. The son unites himself in perfect obedience and lives as a man, and he died. And then the spirit, the spirit effectually calls you unto salvation. The spirit effectually calls you unto salvation. He illuminates the truth in your mind. You remember when you saw the light bulbs come onto the faith and you saw this for what it is? You remember that? You remember when that happened to you? It illuminates the truth for you. It illuminates this need for Jesus. You realize that you're broken. This is so remarkable. Think about what has to happen in the Trinity for salvation to reach you. 
There's so much unity and harmony in this. The Godhead, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all act as one in salvation because they are. Unbelievable. It's remarkable. There's so much harmony in the Trinity. Do you see that? Can you hear the harmony? Can you hear the harmony in salvation there? How about this? This is a good one, man. I'm just giving you everything I got this morning. The high priestly prayer. The, the, the John Knox called this stuff the, the balm to his soul. It was read to him on his deathbed. I've told you that. The high priestly prayer in John 17. Did, when you start looking at this prayer you, and you start thinking about the Trinity, you hear it all over the place in this prayer. Listen to verse 24 here. Jesus is praying in the high priestly prayer. This, this, this stuff is, listen to what he says in here. Verse 20, John 17 is the high priestly prayer. Verse 20. Listen to the unity in here. Listen to the Trinity in this passage. This, this is remarkable to me. The, the Son is praying this to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you. Listen to this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. You hear the unity there? You hear the harmony there? That they, may, that, that, that they also may be in us. See the word us there? See the harmony there? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. Do you hear it in there? Listen to verse 23. And I in them and you in me. There's unity and harmony all in this. There's so much going on here, but I just want you to see the unity here. Verse 23 again, he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me, the Father's love. Do you hear the unity in the passage? There's a oneness to this prayer that Jesus gives us here. There are theological statements being made in these verses here. There are things we learn about the nature of the Trinity here, but there's application in here to unity. Jesus reflects upon his union, the oneness with God, the mutual indwelling that he has with the Father, and he prays that his disciples, this is so critical for us this morning, Jesus reflects upon the oneness with the Father and he prays that for his disciples. He prays for his disciples that they may share the same oneness he has with the Father. Don't overcomplicate it. Do you hear the unity in this? There's unity all in the Trinity in here. The keys, the keys to being effective at the challenge, the keys to being effective for the loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel, they're based in the Trinity so important for you to understand. I could go on and on and on and on about this, but the Trinity is the model. The Trinity is the model for unity and humility. And it's the, first, and it's, it's, it's the grounding for the keys that I'm gonna give you that Paul gives you this morning for the challenge. So what are the keys for fulfilling the challenge? What are the keys to being effective? It's right there in the text in front of you. The first one is this, unity. Paul is saying essentially in verse two here, Let's hear his words again in verse two. He's saying, I want this unity. He's saying he gives you a, a, a Trinitarian statement there. There's more going on this, but he, he's telling you why. Why do I want these? He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. 
I mean, this is low-hanging fruit in the scripture. It's right there in front of you in this. Paul is essentially saying, if there's any harmony in you because of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, if there's any harmony in you because of those things, if there's any affection or comfort or love in you because of the triune God, that's effectively what he's saying. He's saying, you will bring me joy by being unified in purpose. Think about it. This is a pastor writing back to a church he planted. And he's in the middle of prison He's in the middle of a difficult situation of his life. He's suffering in prison. He's living in uncertainty. Paul's not in a great place right now. He's not hanging out on the beach at Kiowa. He's in a Roman prison. He's suffering. There's a immense uncertainty in his life. Anybody dealing with any uncertainty right now? And, he, and he's in a prison cell and he's, and he's concerned about the content and the movement of the gospel. And he's telling these people, if you remain unified, you'll be successful in the mission and that will bring me joy. Think about it. He could have wrote him and said, if I can get out of here, I'll be happy. Somebody do something. He could have wrote him and said, I, I just want my freedom back because I'm a big deal and I preach the gospel and I plant churches. And he says, I'm okay with this situation. Complete my joy and be unified for the mission. Be unified for the challenge. If I can hear that you're unified in humility to move the gospel forward, it completes my joy. And Paul is telling you that the jewel, it falls right out of the content and the movement of the gospel. It takes unity though. It's so cliche. <laughs> I don't like cliches. And I don't know any other way to say it. As I thought about it this week, I don't know any way to say it, but you've heard over and over again that it's so important for a church to get on the same page. It's so important. It, 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 you gotta put personal preferences to the side. You have to look up and find the mission and strive for the goal. We all look different, we all sound different, but we've got to be striving for the goal. You've heard pastors over, if you've been in church a long time, you've heard pastors stand up and say, we gotta be unified. We've got to have harmony. You need to have humility. And you're probably thinking, okay, Britt, tell me something different. But I'm serious. If you listen to CEOs, if you listen to anybody that runs organizations, they'll tell you over and over, we can't get anywhere without unity. We can't get anywhere without everybody understanding where are we going, what are we doing, why are we doing it, and how do I make it happen? We can't get anywhere with that. And you're thinking, yeah, 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 Britt, tell me something different, blah, blah, blah. We gotta be unified to do these things. But I can't express to you how important. The context should tell you how important this is. Paul's in prison. He's dying. He could be one breath away from dying. He, 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 could be, he could be martyred. He doesn't know when it's gonna end. And he's talking to these people about unity. He could have talked to them about anything. He could have talked to them about anything, but he talks to them about unity and harmony. And so we often look for profound things to say, and I don't know what else to say other than check yourself and get on board to the mission. I don't really know any other thing. Any other, the boat is leaving the dock so get on, and I wanna be a part of the movement. So Paul is already giving you the purpose and the mission, the content and the movement of the gospel. The content and the movement of the gospel. I've been saying this over and over and over again. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel is our mission. It's our mission. We have a mission here to make, mature, and multiply disciples, to make disciples. We wanna live on mission. We wanna go grab people, introduce them to the gospel, introduce them to the faith, and see them converted. We wanna make disciples. We wanna mature disciples here. We wanna take people along in their faith so you can live out a robust Christian faith. We want to multiply disciples. We want to be a church that sins. We want to be a church that church plants. We want to be a church that develops leadership. All of these sorts of things to make and mature disciples of the gospel is the mission here. And that's all built around the content and movement of the gospel. 
That's how we arrived at that statement. If our churches, uh, we have to take seriously, we have to take seriously the content and movement of the gospel. And to be effective at that, unity is necessary. The first key to the challenge that Paul gives us is unity. And the scripture this morning is so plain. It's so plain. So here's the question. How do we pursue unity? This sounds great, right? How do we pursue unity? Paul gives it to you. The Bible is so clear on this stuff. He tells you you pursue unity through humility. The second key to the challenge of a life worthy of the gospel, a life that is loyal to the content and the movement of the gospel is humility. How do we unify? We each live in humility. It's straightforward. We each live in humility. So the scripture this morning, the first four verses in front of you right there, this is the logic. It's so straightforward. We are to pursue unity for the sake of the mission. Number one. Number two, we are, supposed, we are to pursue unity through humility. And then verses three and four, Paul defines what humility is. It's right there in front of you. It's so straightforward. Nobody in here should leave today confused. <laughs> Nobody in here should leave today confused. And the second thing I want to say is when you read this stuff, don't think about your Aunt Reader or your Uncle Jimmy that one time did you wrong in a deacon's meeting or all this sort of stuff that comes in and why you can't be unified as a church and how you're maybe not okay with this or that or the other. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I'm trying to live in humility now myself. But anyway, so we need to examine ourselves and take the log out of our eye and realize there's personal preferences in everything. But so we pursue unity for the sake of the mission. We pursue unity through humility. And then Paul gives us humility, what humility looks like right there in verses three and four. This is so plain this morning. It's so good. Look at verse three. What is humility? He breaks it down into two things. Verse three is inner humility. He defines humility in verse three. And then verse four, he tells you how to live it out. Very straightforward. Listen to verse three. I just read this and go home. I don't even need to preach anymore. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What is humility? Not living selfishly for your own ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do you wake up every day and live this? What is humility? Sometimes you define terms by clarifying what it isn't. Sometimes you define terms by clarifying what it isn't. Humility is challenging to define. It's challenging to even really talk about, right? (laughs) If I stand up and say, I'm humble, I mean... Really? You know what I mean? Like, how do you even talk about this stuff? How do I even tell anybody to be humble? Thank God for God's word. That's all I do is just point you to the word here. So, I mean, how do you even deal with this stuff? And so here in this verse, we identify what humility is. Humility is not selfish ambition or conceit, vanity. That's not what humility is. So if you live the inverse of those things, you'll be a humble person. That's what Paul's telling you here. Humility is counting others more significant than yourselves. That's what it's saying right there. Remember, Paul is dealing with the me, me, me culture. Does that sound sound similar to what we're dealing with here? This individualism culture, this stuff pervades and it takes hold. Vanity, selfish ambition, all this stuff. If you crack the door to these small things here, the false teaching just flows into your life. That's why you have to fight so hard to hold on to these things. That's what humility is, inner, the inner part of humility. He defines humility, and then he tells you how to live it out very straightforwardly in verse 4. Look at what he says here. He says, how do you live out humility? You look not, out, not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. It's very straightforward. And so the question for us this morning, are you doing this? Are you doing this in your life? 
Are you looking out for the interest of others? Take hold of the mission in this church. Get serious about it and spend your time helping others be part of the mission here. Here again, the Trinitarian uh, basis here. The Father advances the kingdom. Listen to the Trinitarian basis here. Listen to the humility. Listen how each person of the Trinity looked out for the interests of the other. Listen to this. This is so good. Here's the Trinity again. The Father advances his kingdom by means of his Son. You hear that? The Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit speaks not of himself. The Spirit speaks for the Son. And the Father glorifies the Son. Think about this. Let me read this again. Think, listen to how they're, they're living out for the interest of the other here. The Father advances his kingdom by the means of the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. That's the pattern for us. The Spirit speaks not of himself, but he speaks of the Son. The Spirit speaks of the Son. And the Father glorifies the Son in his vindication. You hear the harmony? You hear the unity? You hear the serving the interest of others? Each person of the Trinity delights in the good of the other person. <laughs> wow, thank you, Ray. Yes, thank you. I mean, it's seriously, it's right there. This is the biggest Christian doctrine of the faith, the Trinity. It's all in front of you. You can't sidestep this stuff. So why is this so difficult for us? Why is it so hard for us? Why for 2,000 years have there been preachers standing in pulpits all over the world talking about this stuff? Why? Why is it so hard for us? Why is the simple sentences here so difficult to handle? It's because of our brokenness. It's because of the sinful. Sin, sin I wrote this. I'm just gonna read it straight to you. Sinfulness is not simply accidental or moral in nature. We often... We often think of sin as one-dimensional and in terms of morality. For example, don't lie or don't look at stuff on the internet or don't yell at your kid when you're angry. And while these things are true, sin is way more pervasive, is way more pervasive than we really ever want to admit. It's far deeper seated and austere than we ever want to admit. That's why we need the gospel. It's why we need the gospel. Human sinfulness is not simply an unfortunate event. It's not simply a glitch in the way things went. Human orientation away from God, which is sin, orientation away from God is, is, is established in the, most, in the deepest parts of human experience. We have this deep desire within ourselves. I'm just telling you how this works because I live it out. We have this deep desire in, within ourselves to orient ourselves away from God towards our own selves. This is, is fundamental in you. This is why you need the gospel. This is why you need community. This is why you need to hear the word preached. This is why you need to live in fellowship with brothers and sisters that we're all struggling to deal with this stuff here. And even when you, live, when you deal with the Bible, you think, what is, in it? what is in it for me? And sin pervades everything. It is so deep. It's so deep into everything we do. And it, and it, and it beckons us to, to reorient away from God towards ourselves. And so we live with reference to ourself rather than God and others. Major issue in the Bible. Just eat the fruit. You know. You know. And so we, 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 we avoid a, a brilliant life. We revo we, 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 at, at times we avoid this God-centered life because we struggle so deeply with this. It's why we need the gospel. It's why we need the Trinity. It's why we need all of these things in our life. So here's the conclusion. I draw an illustration here. This is what I've been, this is what I've been up here harping about. I, you can't see, I'm gonna get this on a blog this week, so don't sweat it. 
if you can't see it or you can't read what's up there, I'm sorry, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. So I'm, I'm, this is all I've been saying in the first five sermons here. The challenge and the mission that Paul lays out here is loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel. You're probably thinking, good grief, Brick, can you stop saying that? I'll stop saying it when everybody's on board. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's the challenge and the mission, loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel. I believe based upon the Bible, based upon the Trinity, the ways to be effective at that, the Trinity is perfect at this. <laughs> the Trinity is perfect at the content and movement of the gospel. He's never failed once. And so you're to pursue that. The ways to be effective at that is to live in unity with humility. We talked about this this morning. And if you do all of that, that top part, I put a bracket on it because that's other focused. That's the inverse of a life of individualism. And my promise to you based upon the Holy Scriptures, what we have been talking about is all throughout the Bible, based upon the Trinity, based upon everything we know about God. My argument, I promise you this, if you run hard at that that is above that line right there, if you submit your life to the content and movement of the gospel, if you give your money, if you give your time, if you give your energy, if you give your love to that thing, if you pursue that with everything you have, I promise you, you'll find joy. I promise you, you'll find holiness. I promise you, you'll find holy courage. I promise you, you'll find community. And I promise you, you'll find victory in this life. The, the important thing for I want you to understand is you can't pursue this stuff for the jewels. You see the jewels that fall out of this? We've been talking about this for weeks. We get off balance with this. There are places out there, they want you to pursue the faith because of the joy. They want you to pursue the faith because of the courage. You don't pursue the faith for the jewels. You pursue the stuff above the line. And the jewels that fall out of it are below. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous to pursue the stuff at the bottom because of our culture and our flesh. We desire to pursue this system right here sometimes before our own selves. We want the joy. We desire to do it, and it's dangerous at times. And so Paul's train of logic is here, is that if you pursue the content and the movement of the gospel through unity and humility, I promise you, you'll experience the things below. So my question is, what are you living for? What are you living for and how is it working out for you? So God grant us unity, God grant us humility as we strive to live for the content and the movement of the gospel. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Precious Lord, give us strength to see the truths of the scripture this morning. I'm so... I'm, I'm, it's remarkable to me, God, what you do with Scripture. It's remarkable that it's not only is it trustworthy, not only is it honest, not only is it full of promises, not only does it tell us about you, Father, but it's clear. And so may we understand that the grace to us is the clarity of Scripture in our life. And this morning, Father, I don't know that there's any more clear piece of Scripture in the Bible than what we just dealt with. And so I give, it, give us the strength to individually deal with this stuff, Father. Give us the strength to individually deal with it because we all have room to go in this. I'm so thankful to you that you're a triune God and you, you exist as one, Father, and you show us unity. You never call us to anything, Father, that you don't model. And so I pray by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that you etch this stuff into our lives and that we not 
as Steve said earlier, we, not, we, don't, we aren't just hearers of the word, Father, but we're doers. So give us strength to live this out in the days ahead for your glory in Christ's name.